Hello, everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Direction. It's Justin Nielsen, your host here. And as always, every week, I have with me Arusha Pahiras from O'Neill Global Advisors. He's a portfolio manager there. And we're going to start out talking to you a little bit about the market. And in a little bit, we're going to bring on our special guest, uh, Jeremy Caprone. He's from the, he's the director of research at RoboGlobal, and we've had a lot of the RoboGlobal folks on here before. Always a great conversation with them, so we're excited to have him on. But Arusha, how are you doing, and how are you dealing with this market? Uh, well, I was probably doing a little bit better yesterday <laughs> right? than today. Exactly. But uh, yeah, honestly, this is uh, it was almost kind of expected in, in this market. We've had a really strong run, uh, and uh, the NASDAQ moved out. Uh, moved right up to the 200-day moving average, and it, it's pulling back uh, along with S&P, but the NASDAQ is the weaker of the two indexes, and it looks like both indexes are right around their 50-day moving average, and so now it's almost the moment of truth. We'll, we'll see how they behave at these key support areas. Yeah. I mean, certainly what we were talking about on the podcast last week is Look, the NASDAQ had gone up 16, 17% in just a matter of weeks. You normally don't do that without some type of pullback or at least some sideways action. So the question becomes, how deep is your pullback? So right now we're right there at the 50-day moving average line, but we did get below the 21-day moving average line. And there certainly seems like there's a, a little bit of a defensive bent. I mean, the utilities and the consumer staples were the ones that were holding up a little bit better today. Um, and yeah, look at the utilities. I mean, that looks yeah. like a growth stock at this exactly. point, you know. Uh, so, um, but you have also the S&P 500 seems like it's at a crossroads, um, whereas the NASDAQ did drop below that 14,000 level. You have the S&P 500 right there at its 200-day line and its 21-day line. So we'll see if this is an area of support or if we start pulling back more, it may require uh, some, some more action. Uh, any, anything to add on that? Yeah, well, I, I would say if, if the markets can hold here, especially the S&P 500, they can hold around the, the 50 day and maybe go sideways for a couple of weeks. That would give more time for mm -hmm. a number of these stocks that were building the right hand sides of bases to put in handles. And then you could see some really constructive uh, bases forming and you might, uh, the market might be able to take uh, another leg higher. So I, I think right now the market is saying stick with S&P 500 stocks, stick with more <laughs> defensive stocks. Uh, and and don't push it at this time. Let the market slowly pull you in. And right now it's been slowly pushing you out the, the last couple of days. Yeah. And it was certainly tough because a lot of the stocks that were driving the indexes higher were these beaten down stocks, whether it was the Chinese names um, or, uh, you know, Twitter lately. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's just a lot of these stocks that were beaten down the most were having the biggest move. So uh, let, let's go ahead and we're going to step back a little bit. And for this, I want to bring Jeremy on from RoboGlobal uh, because there's a lot of different things that are kind of in the works here. And I'd like to get your take because we've got inflation, we've got the interest rate hikes, we've got, you know, you name it, a war in Ukraine. Um, so what's what's your take, Jeremy? And by the way, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be back on your show. So, so what do you think? Uh, wh yeah. wh where do you start with the, the macroeconomic part here? Well, I think the drivers of the stock market have changed uh, quite significantly over the past few months. You know, the last two years have been essentially about the recovery from the lows of the COVID lockdowns, uh, dramatic policy response around the world, far stronger than ever in uh, modern history. And the monetary, the fiscal measures 
that were introduced in 2020, we estimated uh, over 20% of global GDP, so really unprecedented. And so we've seen a, a pretty amazing consumer demand environment the last couple of years at a time of uh, uh, big changes in the economy. Uh, I'm thinking about the turbocharging of the digitization of the economy. You think about remote work, uh, mm -hmm. e-commerce, and so on. And, and now it's become increasingly clear that uh, the monetary and fiscal policies have perhaps been excessive. Um, central banks are probably behind the curve. They're playing catch up with inflation. Uh, and, and now uh, that you have this brutal war unfolding in Ukraine, you know, war tends to be very inflationary. So the market's focused on rates and inflation. Um, and in this kind of market, I think it's important for investors uh, first, not to panic. And uh, at RoboGlobal, we think the key to success is um, to focus on quality and to have a long-term horizon. So think about what the most important secular trends are uh, and make sure your portfolio captures them in, uh, in a prudent way. What I, what I mean by prudent is uh, a diversified portfolio, robust portfolio, best-in-class companies. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's, you know, as opposed to uh, a, a making concentrated bets on, on hot stocks. And we think that automation, robotics, AI, really is one of the most powerful secular trends out there. Mm -hmm. And what do you mean by secular trend? Could you just define that for our listeners real quick? Well, um, secular trend meaning um, um, a trend that has um, depth and duration. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we think about uh, automation, we think that these are the early stages of a massive wave of technology innovation to automate uh, a great deal of the tasks that we humans do not want to do. Uh, and in, uh, in the industry, we call those the three Ds, the dull, the dirty, the dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and, and in this inflationary environment, automation is kind of the go-to solution for many business leaders facing supply shortages uh, in semiconductors, in components, and now in labor. So, Jeremy, with, with this inflationary environment and obviously with valuation coming more into focus here and becoming much more important in, in the, the overall market, uh, especially since the end of November, uh, what, type of, what type of areas are actually, so if you're looking at a diversified portfolio, a lot of our listeners would, would say, hey, I, I'm kind of diversified in a number of different technology areas. They've all gone down, right, uh, since November. What other type of areas are there some secular growth that they, that could, they could, uh, you know, at least have some of those areas start going up to have the portfolio balance out a little bit? Yeah, well, when you think about this technology revolution that's, that's unfolding right now uh, around robotics and AI, you know, those are fundamental technologies that can be applied to all industries. So it's not just about semiconductors or uh, software stocks. I think you have to, to, to think about it as a, uh, a technology wave that permeates every sector of the economy. And it started in manufacturing, of course, right? We've, we put the first uh, robots in, in uh, automotive factories in uh, uh, Detroit in the 1960s. But in the past decade or so, we've seen robots come out the factory floor 
and uh, start making a big impact in many different uh, verticals in the economy. So you think about logistics and warehouse automation, you think about healthcare, think about food, agriculture, electronics, and, and so on. So you can diversify your exposure to this secular trend across a variety of economic sectors, right? So if, you, if you're taking a positive view on automation, you can build your exposure through a basket of companies that play across those various areas. And that will be a combination of technology stocks, but also um, uh, software and hardware and industrial companies. And you're going to have healthcare companies as well. That's how you can build that diversified exposure to the secular trend. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, on, on the other side here, one of the things that has been driving this market so far this year has been a lot of the commodity plays, which seems like it would kind of be leaving AI and, you know, robot. I mean, again, what, what, what do you what do you do for oil? What do you do for gold, uh, the, the, the metals, the miners and things like that? So is is there um, is it just OK, you have your AI, your robo. Uh, your automation as one part of your portfolio, and then you have another part that's that's into these kind of hard assets? Um, or are there ways where some of that automation is creeping in to some of these areas um, that are, again, kind of like your, your old stodgy, what you've been thinking of as industrial type, type companies? Yes, uh, Justin, I think that's a really important point. Uh, and a lot of investors will tend to think that Robotics and AI is all about uh, super high growth, uh, hot stocks. Uh, The reality is quite different. When we build the robo uh, portfolio, uh, we end up with about 40% exposure to industrial and markets. And here we are talking about much more cyclical uh, businesses. Uh, Think about the machine providers, the factory automation, the factory robots, the control systems and the likes. Uh, and those are uh, heavily used in, uh, in the materials industry, in mining, automating uh, the extraction, the processing of, uh, um, of uh, ore and, and, and metals. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of these stocks have uh, not really participated in uh, the, the, the really strong run in, in, in tech that we, we saw in 2020, the first half of 2021 as well. Uh, and, and so when you think about investing in, in robotics and auto- automation, uh, you actually carry quite a lot of uh, those stocks. You know, think, think about uh, the Rockwell automation, the Siemens, the ABBs, the Fanuc uh, over in Japan and, and, and so on. Um, and I think that's a really important uh, aspect of investing in this area is that you are you do not end up concentrate overly concentrated in one particular segment of the market. Yeah. Well, you know what? This is a really interesting topic, and I think what we're going to do is get a lot more into this in the second segment because I think that's where you can maybe dispel some myths on what what investing in automation and AI really means in the current market. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Direction Hydrogen ETF offers exposure to the top 30 pure play hydrogen economy companies by largest market capitalization, leading the way towards net zero emissions by providing more accessible, efficient, sustainable solutions across five hydrogen-related sub-themes. With clean hydrogen-based energy expected to grow five times in the next 30 years, 
companies building hydrogen-related businesses to generate power, heating, transportation, and more will likely thrive. Okay, welcome back to Investing with IBD podcast, sponsored by Direction. It's Justin Nielsen here, along with Arusha Paris, my weekly guest, and our special guest, Jeremy Capron from RoboGlobal, Director of Research over there. And Jeremy, one of the things that I was really just kind of surprised to hear, and this is not something I thought of, that you were just saying how exposure to industrial for the RoboGlobal, the AI, the automation, the robotics, it's 40%. So I want to let you kind of expand on that idea, um, how some of these companies are using this automation. I mean, the, the, the factory robotics, I mean, that's that seems pretty clear. And you gave the automotive industry as an example. But, um, you know, with, with some of this extraction that you're talking about, what are some of the ways uh, and, and I guess, you know, some of the ways the, the efficiencies are improving uh, with using this automation and participating in this commodity move with some of these AI and automation companies? Well, I, I think we're really at an inflection point in terms of the use of uh, uh, robots and autonomous systems to automate uh, business processes. And, and that, that started in the manufacturing sector decades ago. However, at the time, you know, capabilities of uh, machines were fairly limited. And in the last decade or so, we've uh, hit an inflection point in terms of the performance capabilities. You think about what are the enabling technologies that make robots possible. First is the sensing, uh, the computing, the communication networks. And, uh, and those are essentially exponential technologies that keep improving year after year. And so now we've reached a point where the performance capabilities are here the costs are low enough that we can use machines in a, a host of uh, different applications. But the core remains the automation of manufacturing activity. So you think about the factory robots, the traditional six-axis robot that's going to be on the production line to make a car or make uh, you know, an iPad or electronic device in a, in a factory. Around that, there's a variety of uh, automation equipment and solutions that are also used, the control systems, the sensing um, that, that's used for safety, uh, the inspection, the quality of the, the finished products. And, and that's why uh, measured overall, you'll see that industrials remains the biggest application for, uh, for automation. And now we have more emerging but rapidly growing applications around Logistics and warehouse automation, I think, is really important that we talk about it today because it's this this is one of the solutions to uh, the supply chain issues that we're facing uh, of late. But you'll find applications in healthcare, like surgical robots uh, right. or pharmacy automation. You'll find application in the food and ag industry and, and, and so on. And those are a growing piece, but the core remains around industrials. So yeah, let's go more into the, the industrials, like with the warehouses, with the because the the immediate thing that came to mind was Amazon. I think it was a number of years ago mm -hmm. buying that robot company, and then seeing some footage recently of you, all these robots are just kind of going all over the floors, picking up things, bringing it to to some person to pack up. Talk a little bit more about that. Is it just Amazon doing that, or are more companies now forced to do that? Yeah, I think Amazon's acquisition of Kiva Systems uh, yeah. back in 2013, that's the year we started Robo. Uh, it really was a catalyst for uh, 
to start a, a, an arms race around automating supply chains and warehouses. And what happened is that Amazon set the bar really high, not only for the e-commerce industry, but for the entire uh, uh, supply chain industry uh, in terms of uh, being able to deliver products to your door, you know, under two days after you you you, you click order, uh, and and that's a, a performance that's uh, possible thanks to robots and automation. So today, there's more than three hundred thousand of those uh, Kiva robots wow. roaming the, yeah. the Amazon warehouses and automating the fulfillment, the order fulfillment uh, function. And if you look at the investment budgets of uh, the likes of UPS and FedEx and uh, transportation companies, uh, everybody's really stepped up their game in terms of automating this, this, this work to please the consumer. The consumer has extremely high expectations today. And so uh, the warehouse and logistics automation today accounts for about 12, 13% of uh, the robo uh, index and, and ETF. It's been a growing piece, and it's been the best performing subsector of the index over the uh, the past eight years since we started. Mm -hmm. And because of the, you, you mentioned the labor shortage that we've been seeing in in a big way, and of course that's that's part of uh, one of the things that's caused. You know, some people are saying a little bit of a inflationary environment. Uh, you also have these wage increases that are happening because, look, you know, people people had the great resignation, you know, going on. And so you had all of these people kind of uh, leaving their jobs, looking for something better and, you know, employers had to pay up. So on, on this automation side, um, have you seen any companies or any, uh, I guess, trends there where companies have been taking advantage of maybe an early investment in the robotics or the automation that has allowed them uh, maybe a stronger position with this current labor shortage. Yes, well, I, I think the Amazon example we just talked about is case in point, but we've seen many more in recent years. Another example is Shopify, who acquired mm -hmm. Six River Systems, uh, I think just about two years ago, just before the, the pandemic hit. Uh, and, and we've seen other you know, smart companies like Zebra Technologies making investments around autonomous mobile robots. Uh, and I, I think the, uh, the business leaders increasingly see automation and robotics as a competitive advantage. And if you track the money, you follow the money uh, in terms of uh, M&A, for example, uh, the sectors has been e extremely active since 2018. In fact, uh, over the past eight years, since we've, we started uh, Robo in 2013, we've seen 25 of our portfolio companies receive a, uh, a takeover uh, offer. 25 out of a portfolio of about 80 plus companies, that's a significant number. Wow. Oh yeah, that's a big percentage. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you gave the denominator there. That puts it in perspective. <laughs> what about the ag industry? How is automation uh, starting to change that industry? Yeah, I think ag uh, is where automation actually started. Uh, you think about uh, what our economy looked like at the beginning of the 20th century, and the majority of employment was in, uh, in agriculture. And that's where uh, humans started automating first, introducing tools and later on machines and we all know the tractors and so on. And then we hit kind the of dirty a dirty jobs, right? <laughs> yes. 
And then, then we hit kind of a plateau in terms of the uh, technology developments uh, there. But again, in the past decade, we've seen some really interesting developments. We've seen the adoption of uh, big data and analytics. And, and now uh, I, I would uh, say that uh, the ag sector is at the cutting edge of uh, automation, not so much in terms of the deployment, but in terms of the experimentation. So we're, we're looking at companies that are using drones to uh, observe uh, uh, crops and wow. detect uh, potential diseases that are starting to spread or the levels of hydration. We're seeing uh, a company like uh, Deer making really interesting acquisition like that of Blue River, uh, which, uh, which has developed a computer vision system that you put on the back of a tractor. And as you roll over the crop, you can analyze the health of every single crop and detect those, those diseases and the levels of hydration, potentially reducing your consumption of water or fertilizer or pesticides. So, you know, it's happening in ag. Overall, as a, uh, you know, in terms of the market capitalization weight of this activity was still in the early stages. And so food and ag represents around uh, five or 7% of uh, the, the robo fund. Uh, but we see that as a fast growing area for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, since we're on that topic, and, and that's interesting that you mentioned deer, because I was thinking of, I thought you were going to go with like the, the automated tractors, you know, how they're, they're getting into a little bit of the self-driving tractors, but Me that's too, a whole yeah. different element that you were introducing there. But um, we've had uh, Nina on the show a number of times, and she's shared things on healthcare, but uh, maybe you could touch on that a little bit, because you brought up the surgical robots, uh, but uh, every time Nina's on, there's, there's all of these other things she's bringing up in terms of the trends in healthcare and automation that's happening. And I, I should also mention that healthcare just happens to be one of those areas right now that seems like it's holding up a little bit better and, and, and seeing more setups. So um, mm -hmm. go ahead and give us your thoughts on healthcare. Yeah, well, we think healthcare is the next big economic sector that's going to be profoundly transformed by technology. So we touched on logistics and, and, and warehouses and how that's kind of been the sweet spot over the past decade. You know, ag is probably a little further out, but healthcare is where it's happening now. And that's a huge economic sector, about 10% of GDP in the U.S. And when you think about it, uh, we now have more than 6,000 surgical robots around the world's hospital assisting surgeons in more than 1 million procedures uh, last year. And we have AI that can help physicians increase the accuracy of their uh, diagnosis when they are reading medical imaging or uh, blood test results. We have... 3D printed implants, we have miniature hot pumps, we have wearable devices for the monitoring of cardiac activity or glucose levels for people suffering from diabetes. Uh, we have gene sequencing. You know, all this innovation has happened in the last few years and opened the door to an entirely new approach when it comes to healthcare. It's This is an approach where we are going to have a much more preventative approach than uh, the current system, which is based on uh, essentially, you know, uh, uh, the, the treating uh, the sick patients. And that is a very costly uh, approach. So I think there could not be a more exciting time for doctors, for patients and for investors in, in technology around healthcare. And, and so that's just getting started. How, how long do you think that's going to kind of scale up to where when you go in a hospital, that's what you're expecting to see or how, how you get treated? 
Well, I think it's really happening now. Uh, okay. and, and that's why we launched um, a, a portfolio around that. That's the Healthcare Technology and Innovation Index, HTEC, H, we call it HTEC, right. uh, where uh, these, the, all the examples that I just mentioned are actual examples from public companies that uh, HTEC ETF invests in. So you're touching on robotics, you're touching on lab and uh, hospital automation, uh, the data analytics, the ability to deploy machine learning on mm -hmm. um, the, the health records, uh, the patient records, uh, on genomics data. Uh, think about the telemedicine that came to the fore during the pandemic. Right, right. Uh, so I, I would say, Arusha, this is this is now. This is already okay. there. Mm -hmm. And and maybe we could wrap up the discussion to kind of bring it back to some of our macroeconomic uh, trends that we were talking about earlier. Um, a, a lot of these companies, again, you're, you're bringing up deer and, and some that uh, maybe have on the lower multiple side, but it seems like with this higher, higher rate hikes coming up, uh, a lot of people are concerned about these, these high valuations, you know, that um, we see in a lot of these PE stock, these tech stocks with high PEs and, you know, look with, with a higher rate environment, uh, you would expect there to be some trouble there. You would expect that multiple compression. So um, with a lot of these being kind of in that higher area, um, how do you kind of balance that out? Getting back to the diversification that you were talking about earlier, uh, the high multiples with are there areas of low multiples um, where, where the valuations are a little bit better? Yes. Uh, I think the multiple compression in the most speculative areas of the markets already you know, happened to a very large extent in uh, Q4 last year, uh, Q Q1 this year, uh, yeah. where we saw that the, the highest flying, you know, tech stocks really coming back, crashing down. And uh, in many cases, you know, those uh, stocks are back to valuations they were trading on before COVID and the turbocharging of digitization. So that's the first point I would make. And then the second really important point is that when it comes to robotics and automation, uh, it's not just uh, super high gross, high multiple stocks. And we touched on that earlier in the discussion. But yes, there are expensive stocks. You know, think about uh, intuitive surgical trading on 50 times earnings or mm -hmm. ServiceNow, probably 50 times earnings as well. Illumina in gene sequencing uh, uh, around uh, what is it, 60 times. But they are the exception rather than the norm. In fact, if you look at the aggregate PE for the robo portfolio today, it's around 25 times. And that's mm. bang in line with the historical average uh, since 2013. Uh, so at the high, we hit 30 times. Now we've compressed to 25. And then there's also a lot of cheap stocks in, uh, in, in robotics automation. Uh, I can see in robo stocks that are trading on PEs uh, single digit. Uh, you know, uh, cargo tech, that's a, a leader in automation solutions for ports and shipping uh, or Dur and uh, Kion in, in Germany, uh, THK, Fuji in, in Japan, they're trading on like 10, 12 times uh, PE. So in aggregate, you know, that basket is, is not uh, expensive. Okay. Yeah, certainly. Again, very surprising because you think of, uh, again, the technology and you would think the, the high PEs, but as you've uh, really demonstrated here, I think uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunities in those lower PE stocks and 
areas that have been working well in this first quarter of the year. So when we get back, we're going to hear a little bit more about some of the stocks that are on Jeremy's radar and get some of the details of why he finds them interesting. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Direction Hydrogen ETF offers exposure to the top 30 pure play hydrogen economy companies by largest market capitalization, leading the way towards net zero emissions by providing more accessible, efficient, sustainable solutions across five hydrogen related subthemes. With clean hydrogen based energy expected to grow five times in the next 30 years, companies building hydrogen related businesses to generate power, heating, transportation, and more will likely thrive. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Direction. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pires, and our guest today is Jeremy Caprone from Robo Global. He's the director of research there. So, Jeremy, you've been talking a lot about ways in which automation has been changing some of these uh, companies. You know, again, not necessarily the high tech companies that you you think of when you think of AI and automation, but the manufacturing, the industrial. And uh, do you have any uh, names out there that kind of will I guess, put an exclamation point on those points that you've been making with us earlier. Yeah, well, look, I think uh, some investors are very familiar with the usual suspects, like intuitive surgical in, in surgical robotics or NVIDIA in, in computing and AI. Uh, mm-hmm. But in fact, a lot of the tech and market leaders in robotics and AI are still small and mid-cap companies that most investors do not own. In fact, the overlap between Robo and the S&P 500 is less than 3%. So most wow. investors don't own these stocks. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I, that's why I want to discuss some of these smaller stocks that maybe are not on your radar. Mm-hmm. Okay, where do you want to start? Well, we talked about uh, warehouse and supply chain automation. So, so I, I want to start there and talk about GXO Logistics. Uh, that's a fairly new public company uh, that spun off uh, XPO in July of last year, came out the gate very strong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stock went from 55 to about $100 in just a couple of months, peaked in November, now down to the low 60s. Uh, And that's that's a member of the Robo Index and ETF. And and so what GXO Logistics does is that uh, we call that contract logistics. So they provide automated supply chain management for multinational companies, blue chip companies like uh, a Nestle or a, a Nike, who choose to outsource their logistics to specialists for higher efficacy, higher productivity. And so GXO is building uh, very high tech warehouses around the world. Uh, they use cutting edge technologies like uh, uh, robotics, you know, computer vision autonomous mobile robots. Uh, and, and so that helps their customers increase the productivity uh, of their supply chain operations. And I think there's a really interesting angle around how the warehouses of the future uh, can uh, enhance the environmental uh, performance of businesses and the sustainability of, uh, of businesses. So we look at GXO, uh, you know, that's a company we expect can grow revenue in the double digits uh, per year through uh, share gains, uh, the boom in e-commerce to which they're very geared. In fact, more than 50% of their revenue is coming from uh, from e-commerce. 
and and so like I I remember going and taking a look at this company when it was spinning off, and I, I like that it was part of XPO because XPO has done very very well uh, over the the years. So in many ways, so this is essentially just leveling maybe the playing field uh, versus an Amazon where Amazon's invested all this money. Now some of these other companies can go and kind of get those efficiencies. Is is that is that how you look at it? Yeah, I think it's really an opportunity for. Uh, large companies with uh, broad, you know, networks of facilities or distribution. So again, okay. think about multinational uh, that realizes they can find somebody who can do that better than 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 they can. Okay. And 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 so that's that's the trade-off. And right now, it looks like this trend is gaining a lot of traction in recent years. You can see the uh, portfolio of clients at GXO is growing. And then their uh, their share of uh, uh, their share of the uh, you know the, the the spending for their customers around supply chain automation keeps growing every year. Mm -hmm. So just on the technical side, you know, again, this came out of the gate really strong, um, but really since November, uh, since its peak in November, uh, it, it's it's been really not participating. And it, that seems strange to me, given that we still have all of these supply chain issues, um, potentially more disruption from from the war in Ukraine. Um, and and look, the, the numbers here are pretty good. As you mentioned, it's got double digit growth, um, you know, and and the, the earnings have have turned around uh, from losses, and now it's got profits, some some very strong ones. W what is it? Why is this not in favor right now? Do you think? Oh, I can think of uh, two uh, potential headwinds that, that push the stock down. Number one is, you know, what happens with a spin-off. Some of the institutional investors end, end up with, with a stock that, they, they may, that may not fit their mandate, mm -hmm. uh, right? It's a growthier stock than, than XBO. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, you know, a few months after the spin-off, you can see some, some portfolio rotation, and, 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 uh, and that, can, that can be a headwind. Um, but number two is also their large European exposure, uh, and and you know Europe is is probably one of the the, top, the toughest of the, the big economic regions right now, given the, the developments with with Russia, and the uh, soaring energy costs. I think uh, uh, investors are more cautious on Europe exposure right now. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, so moving on, uh, you mentioned earlier a company that. Um, a lot of people may be familiar with Zebra, uh, and and this one, you know, this this one's been out for a while. It's uh, been on our radar at different times. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about what it is that Zebra does. Yeah, Zebra is also a member of uh, Robo. Uh, that is the top player in uh, what we call asset tracking, and and other track and trace solutions for supply chains. So they make things like a barcode reader, uh, right. radio frequency ID, um, mobile terminals, and all sorts of technologies that are used to optimize supply chains and warehouses. So they also uh, play into retail, healthcare facilities. And I think they're uh, becoming the go-to provider of automation for moving goods or parts in a supply chain. And that's a very well-run company that a lot of investors have not heard of because it's still you know, just around that uh, market cap level. Uh, and even though they make, um, I believe, uh, between five and $6 billion in revenue today, and last year, they grew their revenue by more than 25%. They, 
they are making some very smart investments in robotics. They have acquired uh, Fetch. Fetch is a mobile robot company based in the Silicon Valley. Uh, they bought that last year for around $300 million. They're also pushing into computer vision that we talked about earlier. Uh, they just announced the acquisition of Matrox Imaging for almost $900 million. And this has been a very good investment over the years. You know, you, you can see the quite rapid and steady compounding in Zebra stock. It's like uh, quadrupled over the past five years. And recently it's pulled back from around $600 down to $400. And, and today trades around 20 times earnings. So that's, that's below the average for the members of the robo-index. And and with Zebra now, do they do they compete with like an Impinge or are they, are they working with them? Because Impinge, I think, does uh, they're they're involved in the uh, RFIDs too, right? Yes, and barcode printing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but Zebra is by far the largest player today in the market okay. in uh, what we call automatic identification uh, technology. They're number one. Number two would be a Honeywell, one of the, the yep. Honeywell divisions. Yep. And Impeach would be, you know, quite quite further down the rankings. Mm -hmm. And I always thought it was just really interesting the the name that they came up with. You know, when you look at a barcode, that zebra type That's look true. of a barcode. I, I always thought that was very clever. Um, so uh, so we have GXO. Uh, the ticker symbol on zebra is ZBRA. Um, any anything else that we should know about this one? About zebra? Yeah. Before we move on. Yeah, I think uh, there's been this perception for quite some time that Zebra was overly exposed to brick and mortar retail, mm -hmm. uh, which, as you, we all know, is losing share to e-commerce. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why for some time the stock kind of languished, you know, a few years ago uh, because of that perceived risk. And in the last few years, Zebra has really demonstrated that uh, not only are they not overly exposed to brick and mortar, but they are very exposed to e-commerce and the warehouse right. innovation around that. Mm -hmm. and, and is it, um, again, I would imagine their products are really kind of helpful with that inventory uh, control, inventory tracking, and again, moving it no matter whether it's from warehouse to warehouse or from warehouse to consumer, what, what have you, just keeping track of where everything is going. Yes, we call that uh, track and trace. This is one of uh, our areas of focus in terms of uh, uh, warehouse automation in the, in the, the RoboFund. Mm -hmm. Very good. And so let's go ahead and round out the conversation um, with uh, another one. You were talking about some of these companies that have the, the sensing, because that's a really important part of automation. So let's go ahead and take a look at CGNX, uh, Cognex. Uh, what is it that these guys do? Okay, so Cognex is a leader in computer vision. And computer vision is about giving machines the ability to see and to mm -hmm. analyze and understand uh, what's in a digital picture, right? So for decades, computer vision was extremely limited, too expensive because it requires enormous compute power. Right. And uh, in, in the past decade or so, uh, researchers and, and companies like Cognex, they've made tremendous progress and they've developed what we believe is now a more than $10 billion market. That's around using computer vision to improve manufacturing process. So it's about factory automation. Mm -hmm. And so in the past 10 years, Cognex has gone from $300 million in sales to just above $1 billion last year. And their systems are used at uh, factories and distribution centers for e-commerce. So, you know, Amazon, 
Apple, BMW, uh, Unilever, all sorts of uh, uh, big players are now using the Cognex technology to inspect uh, and identify products or parts in their manufacturing process. Now, what's really interesting about uh, this is that uh, they've recently launched a new series of products that are powered by AI. And that, uh, we believe, can significantly expand their addressable market. Most computer vision systems today are built around uh, algorithms that are rule-based, mm -hmm. that are designed to uh, uh, help computers understand what's in the digital picture. This new approach, AI-powered approach, uh, used a deep learning. And, and, and that could address many new applications, especially around inspection problems, where the algorithmic approach uh, cannot easily be applied. So think about detecting random uh, imperfections on a, a metallic surface or uh, on plastic. And, and uh, this is a huge uh, part of the human's work in manufacturing today is inspection. Yeah. Uh, today, we think there's about um, 35 million manufacturing workers that are uh, specifically focused on visual inspection tasks. So using that kind of technology can be a huge relief in, in the, uh, the industrial sector. I almost feel like even, even with all these uh, names, especially Zebra and Cognix, if you don't have these technologies, if you're a manufacturer uh, and uh, if you don't have these <laughs> technologies, you're going to get left behind really quickly, especially once machine learning uh, starts coming uh, around and starts to detect these flaws during the cycle. Yes, I think, you know, we've gone to we've gone from a technology that was overly expensive and yeah. clunky to mm -hmm. uh, computer vision that's become uh, affordable and a nice to have. And today, uh, they become necessary to compete in the global marketplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, one of the big catalysts there, as you said, it was it was really kind of the it almost needed that other technology to change the computing power, you know, that's that's driving a lot of this AI and the and the deep learning. Um, you know, that just wasn't that just wasn't possible 10 years ago. Um, you know, I I was going to get into a tangent here about another cousin that I have uh, that is, you know, was explaining to me in the 80s and 90s about uh, computer recognition, you know, and how difficult it was, uh, because, again, it was very algorithm based. You had to you had to kind of teach the computer what it was looking at. And it was just very complicated. And if it's able to kind of learn about those imperfections on its own, I mean, that's just such a game changer that's been opened up with the new technology. So, um, uh, yeah, really appreciate you putting a lot of these on our radar. Uh, Jeremy, it was really nice having you come on the show again. Uh, we're always so excited to have the Robo Global folks on. Uh, you're always sharing so much great information with us about uh, some of these companies, the excitement that's going on. And uh, it always makes me remember just the, the, the sci-fi novels that I used to read as a kid. You know, like, it seems like more and more where we're going, right? Well, thanks for having me. Okay, it was a pleasure. And on the show next week, we are going to have a little bit more of We Time. Arusha and I are going to tackle things on our own, see if see if we can be trusted uh, to be, be on our own. So we hope you stay tuned for that. And thank you very much for watching us this week. Take care.
make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.